I have been um, asked a couple of times, oh, are you the money lady? <laughs> and <laughs> it's fine if you think of me that way. Um, I'm also uh, Amy Miller. I um, am the Foundation Development Advisor for DEI. If any of you don't know DEI, it's the Development Exchange. It's an umbrella organization for public radio and works with public radio stations nationwide to build their fundraising capacity. Many, many local stations don't have foundation development operations, and, um, although some do, and um, so I'm working with stations on that. I also do work with some independent producers on finding um, uh, foundation prospects and uh, doing grant review, grant proposal review, things like that. Uh, prior to being with DEI, I worked for about five and a half years with PRI, um, and I see Heidi right here from PRI. Uh, and I also do some work with uh, organizations like Youth Radio, NFCB, um, uh, other folks like that. So um, that gives you some uh, sense of who I am and why I'm here. I, I, I wanted to start with a quote that I found in uh, the, the Mapping the Landscape survey on uh, in independent producers, which is um, on the PowerPoint. <laughs> but basically, it says, if you want someone to give you money, you have to tell them a good story. And I think that that's a really important thing to remember. Um, and, and I also think, and I, I wanted to highlight it in part because I think it's a place where you folks have an edge on some other people who are seeking grants, because they're seeking money in general, because you already know how to tell a story. You're good at that. Um, when it comes to grant writing, you know how to write. Uh, and I can say from some experience that a lot of people who are putting together foundation proposals don't know how to pitch their organization or their project and can't write. So um, you have uh, an, an edge on both of those things. I, um, we had it here for just a second. Uh, <clears throat> I wanted to give you um, also a sense of what the foundation landscape is. And some of you, um, I'm sure already are, are aware of this, and some of you probably aren't. But um, just so you have a sense of the big picture, there's about 68,000 foundations in this country. Um, many of them are small. Some of them, of course, are like the Ford Foundation, very large, the ones that, that immediately leap to mind. Um, and the number of foundations has been growing a lot over the last 15 years. The 68,000 is a 77% increase since, um, I think, 1993. Uh, foundations are currently giving about $33.5 billion a year, and that's a 200% increase in giving uh, since, um, what, about 10 years. Uh, so so the, the scope of the foundation landscape is very large. I think uh, there are times when people look at foundations from the outside and think, oh, well, it's deep pockets. You know, I can just go to a foundation and get a million dollars. Um, which is not true, um, but it also isn't true that foundations should be written off because you know they're, they're too much work or there's too many strings attached or whatever, because they, they are a significant player in the philanthropic world. So um, that said, uh, as I'm sure you all know, from the Mapping the Landscape, oh, bless you, from the Mapping the Landscape survey, <laughs> Uh, only about 40% of um, independent producers are getting any significant money from foundations. 61% uh, are getting either minimal funding or no funding at all from foundations. 
So again, stepping back a little bit, one of the things I'd like to talk about when I do presentations like this is what is it that foundations want anyway? And you know, it seems like kind of a, a, a facetious question, but it's really serious, I think. I think every foundation wants to make the world a better place. And I, you know, I have never encountered a foundation that doesn't have that as its goal. Now, what they think is gonna make the world a better place is you know, all over the map. But um, you know, some foundations want to do it through hot, hot lunch programs. Some foundations want to do it through media. Some foundations want to do it through supporting the retirement home for Methodist clergy. But they all have as their goal to make the world a better place. And the reason I think that's important is because um, that's what you need to talk about when you talk to foundations, how you are also helping to make the world a better place and how you're helping them to achieve their goal to make the world a better place in the way that they do, that they understand that to happen. Also, for those of you who might be a little bit newer to foundations, um, there, are, there are a few basic kinds of support that foundations give. Most of what they give is uh, funding for specific projects or specific programs, uh, for the hot lunch program, or um, for uh, environmental coverage on a particular radio program or something to that effect. But most of what they give is for a specific project or a specific program. Sometimes foundations give capacity building grants. That's usually to um, an organization to advance their ability to do their work. So um, it might be to help them hire a fundraiser or to do a feasibility study or something to that effect. Um, some foundations give capital grants that's not generally gonna to apply to you, but they also sometimes give equipment grants. That can be anything from um, you know, the fundraising database to uh, the new digital uh, transmitter. A, a number of stations have been going to foundations successfully for digital conversion equipment, so that would be the kind of thing that they'd be looking for. Some foundations uh, give startup, and that can also fall into the project and program category, but it could be for a startup of an organization it could be for the startup of, of a new project. It could also be you know, seed money. Some foundations give operating money, and everyone wants operating money. I, I used to work with a producer who would get so frustrated about um, the grant-seeking process and just said over and over, why can't we just find someone who will just give us the money and let us do what we do? And, you know, why not? But <laughs> it's not quite how it worked. And, um, but foundations are slowly incrementally realizing that operating money is really critically important, both to, to folks like you and, and to larger organizations. Um, still though, it's less than a quarter of all uh, grants that are, are given. So your best bet is always gonna be with project and program. There's a study that you might know already, which is, um, was produced in, I think, 2002 by the Council on Foundations and uh, grant makers for electronic media. It's called, um, well, I don't remember the name of it, Why Fund Media, I think was the name of it. But it's available online at fundfilm.org. And it's dated, but it's really worth reading. Um, it talks about, it looks at seven different case studies in media, and a lot of it has to do with film, but some of it talks explicitly about the Third Coast Festival. Um, but it, it goes through a list of reasons why funders why foundations support media and why they don't. Some of the key reasons are, in, in, for those who do fund media, they want to promote the arts. 
Um, I think there are a lot of foundations out there that are concerned about arts getting uh, the financial shaft nationally and arts education sort of falling off the radar screen. So there are funders that are interested in supporting the arts. They want to advance understanding of key issues, and they might see themselves doing that through investigative journalism. They might be foundations that are interested in youth in poverty, and um, part of what they do then would be to help the public understand issues about youth in poverty. Um, they want to give voice to the unheard. This is an area where, where public radio, I think, and it, certainly independent producers have a lot that, that you can talk about. Uh, that, that the concept that there are certainly um, marginalized groups in our society, they're not having, or traditionally have not been heard on the mainstream media. Uh, independent producers have played a really important role in bringing those voices forward. They, uh, a lot of foundations want to educate policymakers, uh, which doesn't explicitly mean that they're lobbying, but, um, but there are certainly foundations that are interested in influencing legislation or moving, pub, uh, moving policy, or even, you know, more broadly, shifting the, the direction of public dialogue on an issue. Can you give an example of what kind of media they would fund to do that? Oh, public radio. Um, you know, I think uh, one of the things that, that uh, I use a lot when I'm writing grants for public radio would, is the um, research that shows that um, large, uh, that the public radio audience broadly is composed in large part of um, people who are considered influentials. Uh, and that can be people who vote regularly. They vote at a higher level than, you know, everybody else. Um, people who are teachers, people who are business leaders, people who are policy makers, people who write letters to the editor. And so um, those, if you put something on public radio, you know you're reaching that audience. Now, can you prove that those people are actually doing what you want them to do or what the foundation wants them to do? No. But, um, or not, you know, it's directly. But you can certainly say, you know, we are directing, helping to move the course of dialogue. And I, I'm gonna get to your question in just a second. One of the things too that I wanted to bring up and I think this, this um, gives an opening for it. There's a quotation that I've used about a zillion times in proposals from a man who's a media scholar from the 1960s. His name was Bernard Cohen. And um, of course I don't have it memorized, but um, basically what he said was uh, the, the print, the press um, is not always successful at telling people what to think, but it's stunningly successful at telling people what to think about. And I think that's, that's it kind of summarizes the case for uh, a lot of folks in media, especially in the news and information side of things. And there was a question in the back. Well, I was just, you mentioned quoting studies that, that look at public radio listenership. Where do you find these kinds of numbers in, you know, if, you're, if you wanted to insert that into a grant proposal, what, reference these sorts of studies? I would reference them. Um, and the, do you remember the, the name? It's, it's a market research study, comes out Simpson, I think. Um, I would need to check the, the name of it. I haven't, I've, I've sort of cut and pasted that footnote a lot and I don't recall um, the name of the actual study. Um, and, and I think last, um, one of the things that funders want to do is they want to reach expanded audiences. And I'll be talking about that more a little bit later. But um, in short, uh, a lot of foundations are concerned about social issues. 
they would like other people to be concerned about the same issues and you know to help find solutions to them. But one of the things that they need to do in order to make that happen is get the word out. So uh, that's an area where, where media can play a role that is beneficial to foundations. Now, why they don't fund media, there's a lot of reasons for that too. A uh, big one, they think it's too expensive. And um, one of the things that this uh, the paper that I was um, suggesting to you rec talks about is for many foundations, there's really no um, distinction between media types. So um, you hear media, you think Hollywood, or you hear media, you think PBS, documentary. You might not be thinking, gosh, you know, you can do radio on a much smaller budget because folks in foundations wouldn't necessarily know that. Um, but, but expense is certainly an issue. Um, and, and for smaller foundations, it would be common to say, um, well, you know, we only give grants of up to $10,000, and my paltry $10,000 won't make a difference in your larger budget. So, um, again, we'll be talking about that later when we talk about some roadblocks, but that is, an, is something that you'll encounter from foundations. Um, concerns about distribution, and I'll be talking about this quite a bit. Uh, any foundation listening to uh, a request from media is going to say, how do we know that this is going to get out to audiences? Um, uh, National Public Radio is the most able to say, you know, we're getting out to a bazillion people every day. Um, other networks, uh, having worked um, with another network, I can say that um, one of the things that um, uh, foundations will say is, you know, why should I fund you if I could give the same amount of money to these folks over here who are reaching way more people? So concerns about distribution um, are an issue, and especially with independent producers. Uh, if, if you're not able to show that you're going to be able to get your content out, then you're going to be um, hurt in the, in the proposal review process. Um, many foundations don't fund media, and let me make that a little bit more clear. There's about 68,000 foundations nationally, 6,000 of them fund individuals. Um, and then if you look at what they're funding, um, most of those foundations are giving uh, fellowships, research fellowships, travel fellowships, scholarships, you know, things to pe for people to go study anthropology or whatever. Um, the ones that are funding individuals in arts and culture shrinks it down to about 1,000 to 1,500. So it's a much, much, much smaller pool. If you're an individual seeking a grant as an individual, you know, you can go after those 1,000 to 1,500 foundations, and there's nothing wrong with doing that. You can also uh, seek a fiscal agent, which essentially means um, working with uh, another nonprofit that is the official recipient and administrator of the grant, even though you would be using the money and doing the project. Um, or you can become a 501c3. There are resources about how to find fiscal agents and also how to become a 501c3 on the Foundation Center's website. I'll be talking about that more as well. Um, but, sir, but my recommendation would be if it's an option for you at all and if you want to do more production and if you're, if you're serious about looking at foundations for money, become a 501c3. Um, and finally, one of the, the reasons that foundations have um, given for not funding media is they don't see the value of it. They don't see the impact of it. And you know, it seems kind of counterintuitive, but, um, but I do think that there needs to be sort of an educational uh, piece where 
media and producers can um, help foundations understand we're getting to the people you want to get to. So I wanted to stop here for just a minute and ask a couple of you if you would be willing to share um, a project uh, or you know if it's your production company, whatever, some, some kind of project that you are interested in um, seeing funded from a foundation. And if, if you're willing to do that, and just, just briefly, we don't need to, to have a ton of detail, but maybe what it is that you're looking for and, and what, the, what the content is. And I do need to ask you to use the mic. Um, so my project would be a four-part radio series about climate change in the U.S. With, uh, that would accompany photo, it would be photo audio slideshows and then four-part radio s series. That's good. Okay. And uh, hoping to put together a three-part, uh, three one-hour documentaries uh, that would come out uh, in time for NASA's 50th anniversary, which is in 2008. So it would be three documentaries on subjects around space, science, and the space program, accompanied by a large website uh, and uh, educational outreach material in schools. Good. And maybe one more. Um, yeah, right here. I'm working with um, an independent producer. Her name is Nancy Olison, and she does oh. Mambo. And you know Nancy. Yeah, I do. <laughs> okay. And um, Nancy's dream is to have an hour-long weekly national show about motherhood and. Um, she is a 501c3, and she has a long track record um, of work behind her. And she's gotten some grants. Yes. Mm -hmm. And let's take one more. Yeah, back here. Oh, God. In, uh, in 1912, in the state of Maine, the state of Maine evicted 45 people from an island on the coast. The island's called Malaga Island. And the islanders were black white and mixed race individuals. They were poor and they were no longer wanted on the coast because the coastal town that the island was part of, Phippsburg, wanted to develop the town for tourism purposes. So that's the story. The project is a half, hopefully a half hour radio program along with photos for a website and hopefully a gallery show. Okay, cool. So this is interesting. Thank you for sharing those. Um, so I want to, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not promising to have uh, the perfect match for, for any of you, but um, I do want to just keep these in mind as we go forward and, and also just stop here um, and talk a little bit about what might be um, avenues to look at or, or possibilities to look at for these folks. If I were um, looking at, uh, uh, say, um, the, the NASA project, um, thinking about the kinds of foundations that might be interested in uh, supporting that sort of project, what kinds of things would, would kind of come to mind for all of you in terms of the kinds of foundation, not by name, but the kinds of foundation interests that would look at a project like this? Education, science. Good. Technology. Technology, good. Science, education, technology, and I think one of the things that makes us really strong for a from a foundation's point of view is the educational outreach component. 
um, and the fact that it ties to a specific uh, event. Um, and I think also from a foundation point of view, the fact that it is a lengthier project. Um, Contractors who uh, make money from this, who have, have foundations within their, their structure. OK. OK. Good. Um, so, so that's the kind of thing I think that, that you want to be thinking about when you, when you think about what sorts of organizations or what sorts of foundations would be looking at these. How about the, um, the hour weekly on motherhood? And that's a challenging one. Um, foundations, not corporate underwriters, but foundations that you think might be interested in that kind of a project. Child well-being. Child well-being. One's interest in education. Motherhood affects education, right? With the women's issues of quality Good, good. And then, you know, I'll be talking about this too as we go on, but the, one of the things that's really helpful, I think, as you're looking for foundations is to think what kinds of organizations are out there. They might not have anything to do with media, but what kind of organizations are out there that are doing work that are in these areas and see who's funding them. So, um, you know, it's not stealing. <laughs> but if you can find out who's, who is funding other organizations in the field, put those foundations on your list. Um, also, and I'll, I'll talk about this, I think, uh, again later, but um, if you are uh, doing something in a particular region um, or that has pertinence to a particular area, uh, pay close attention to who's funding your local station, your local public radio station or stations. And um, regardless of where you're doing your work, if it's in this country, pay close attention to who's funding American public media, and who's funding national public radio, and who's funding public radio international. As an independent, um, I run into foundations saying, you know, why should I give you money to put something on NPR when I'm already funding NPR? I'm actually funding you. Right. Without them actually knowing that I'm not getting <laughs> so it seems to me that it's, for independence that it's um, a competitive disadvantage that foundations are, are funding the programs. Um, maybe, yeah. Um, you know, I mean, I certainly could see a foundation making that argument. I could also see, um, I could see making the argument that uh, I, we, I as an independent producer am doing work that is broadening what NPR is doing. I'm doing the kind of work that NPR um, has limited resources to invest in. Um, I'm doing uh, work that's diversifying. I am the new talent that, you know, and for some foundations that would matter. Um, that you know, NPR is is says that they're looking for. So we're bringing in. I'm bringing in voices or content or topics that are not otherwise showing up. Um, so that that would be one way of, of addressing that. Now I'll take this question, and then I'm going to go on. Uh, I guess the conundrum, like especially with the show, like the motherhood show, which I would love to hear. But how many stations would pick up something like that? And what kind of legwork do you have to do? Well, and that's a big issue, um, and I know that's been an issue for Nancy. Um, she's, she's lucky in that she has a lot of carriage from past specials, concerts, and stuff, so she does have that. <coughs> um, right, but, I'm, but when you specifically go about a weekly show, yeah. it's a whole other kind yeah, no, of a, right. of a animal <coughs> special. 
And does podcasting then, is that something that can supplant maybe the kind of radio distribution that you I, I would say to a certain extent, yes. And Nancy has done a good job um, with building up a, a quite a rich website and with podcasting and with doing CDs and with doing specials. And so she has a collection of um, material there that she's able to use not only to show that she can do what she says she can do, but also that is building an audience and is reaching an audience. I'm going to continue here and then we can take some more questions. Um, I, what I want to do here is just walk through the process of finding foundation prospects and approaching them. Uh, basically, it's a step-by-step -step process that involves a skill set that once learned gets much easier. Um, the first step, though, uh, is one that remarkably gets uh, skipped over often. Uh, it's defining your project. And I think it's really important. It sounds obvious, but it's not. Um, you need to be able to answer concisely. What is it that you want to do? Why is it important? How is it different from what other organizations or other producers are already doing? How do you intend to do it? And what's the timeline for doing it? And what's the impact going to be? How, how are you going to make sure that this will matter to real people because they're actually going to hear it? Once you've been able to do that, and, and I, I, I want to uh, just say, you know, it's important, the project definition is so important because it lays the, the groundwork for every conversation that you have with any kind of funder, um, whether that's an underwriter or a foundation or a major, you know, a, a, an individual benefactor or, you know, whoever it might be. But it's very, very important. Um, I, do, I, I don't know how things work in the independent production world, but I know that sometimes in organizations it's easy to say, you know, we want to do this project, we're pretty sure it's going to work out, but not quite to put, you know, not, not to really think through how it's going to be implemented. Once you've got your project defined, you're already partway down the road, um, your next step is to identify potential funders. And um, on the handouts that you have, it goes, it, this information is written out for you. But basically, um, there are some key ways to find uh, foundation prospects, and some of them are free. Um, chief among those is going to the library. Uh, uh, the National Foundation Center, which I referenced, is in New York. It's sort of a um, library of all things foundation. They publish um, many directories, print and, and online and CDs, uh, of foundation information. In every state, there is at least one Foundation Center cooperating collection. You can find out where yours is. If you're in a, a major city, there's probably one at your library. You can go there. You can look at print foundation directories that cover, you know, provide you indexed information on the top 20,000 foundations. You can look at FC Search, which is a CD-ROM, which has all of the Foundation Center's um, grant information on it. You can uh, look at specialized guides, and there are guides for uh, grants to individuals, there's guides for grants in the arts, grants to um, uh, programs with youth, grants to uh, organizations working on AIDS. There, there's a lot of specialized uh, foundation directories. So depending on your topic, you might find that there's a specialized directory just for you. There are also state and regional directories, and if you are um, doing something that is regionally specific, I think the state and regional directory is just a great thing because it, it focuses 
on the foundations that are, are in your region, many foundations only give geographic, or only give within certain geographic boundaries. So um, a, a state and a regional directory is, is often an easy way to get at the foundations that are going to be real options for you. You can also log on to the Foundation Center. Um, there's a lot of information there, uh, everything from you know, trends in the philanthropic world to um, how to look for a grant, how to find a grant if you're an individual, how to, how to find a fiscal agent, uh, as well as some uh, searchable information on actual foundations. Grants.gov is governmental grants. Um, I have found it somewhat useful, but you know, depending on, on what your topic area is, it would potentially be something that you'd want to look closely at. Um, so anything, NEA and NEH are on there, but also um, any number of funding uh, programs that are associated with the government. Philanthropy News Digest is something that I like to just kind of keep my eye on. It's, it's produced by the Foundation Center. And um, one of the things that it includes, it's, it's, some of it's just articles about you know, interesting tidbits of news in the philanthropic world. But um, uh, one of the things that they include is a list of RFPs. And so you can go in there and look at, uh, by subject area, what are, what are some foundations out there uh, soliciting from you know, grant seekers. Um, and in the journalism section of that, there's a number of pieces of information typically on fellowships and um, educational programs and awards and that sort of thing that you can, that you might already know, but if you don't, it's a good place to scan. Yeah. Quick question, I don't know if this is exactly in, in your sequence of information here, but um, to what extent do you find that foundations that don't historically fund media might nevertheless award grants to media producers if the topic is something on which they have a strong Yeah, um, that is coming up. And, but we can uh, just skip ahead to that. There is, um, uh, I think that uh, in my experience, there are the foundations that say we don't fund media. There are the foundations that say we do fund media. And then there's about 67,900 in between, you know. Um, I, I, it's my sense that, <coughs> excuse me, most foundations just don't have much of a track record funding media. And so they might have, they might have their own assumptions about you know, what does it mean to fund media, which might be right or wrong, but, um, but they just haven't gone there. If, uh, it is certainly possible to get money from foundations for topic-specific projects um, in media. The, the radio programs, the big radio programs are doing it. Um, and, and so it is, it is absolutely possible to do that. It, in fact, it's a great way to go. It's one of the ways that I think that producers who are, write, who are working on um, issue-type work or news-type work probably have an advantage over producers that are doing maybe more artistic work um, because you can tap into that the topical area. So uh, maybe a foundation that cares a lot about, say for instance, the environment, would be a place to look for um, uh, money on climate change uh, production. And I do want to just say something briefly about national subscription databases. Uh, there's a few of them out there. One of the ones that I think is the best is the Foundation Center Online. 
Uh, they also have uh, Foundation Center Grants to Individuals online. Both of those are available for a monthly subscription, which is kind of a nice thing to know. If you um, are looking at it for more than a month, it gets kind of expensive, but, um, and, and it's, it might not be, you know, useful to you unless you're really seeking foundations from all over the, uh, grants from all over the country. But um, it's also worth knowing that um, uh, DEI subscribes to uh, a national subscription database and one of the services that we provide for a fee is um, prospect research, which is highlighted on this slide. Um, but among other resources to go to, I would pay a lot of attention, we talked about this earlier, to like-minded organizations. If you are um, doing a program on climate change and there's an environmental organization in your state, which I'm sure there is, who's funding it? Um, if you have a council of nonprofit or a, a council of nonprofits or a council on foundations in your state, I would pay attention to what kinds of resources they have available. Maybe they have a library, maybe they have, um, a lot of times councils on nonprofits or councils on foundations will have informational sessions, sort of, um, uh, in Minnesota they brought in, uh, uh, they'll occasionally bring in the people from various foundations to do a session on, you know, what is it that we're looking for, how do you apply, uh, so those sorts of resources can be great. Is yeah. a council of nonprofits like a Council of Nonprofits is usually just um, like an association serving nonprofits in a particular region. So um, maybe they would advocate for um, uh, policy, you know, statewide that would have bearing on nonprofits. They might also do um, informational sessions on fundraising. Um, you know, it's it, it's not all about fundraising, but they can be a really good resource to get information about grant seeking. And, and sometimes they'll run sessions on, you know, introduction to grant seeking, that sort of thing. Once you have um, gone out there and looked at the broad uh, pool of foundations that might be interested in, say, media, um, or media and environment, you're gonna have a long list of foundations. So you need to start pairing it down to some foundations that are, are viable. Um, one of the first questions that I ask is, does the foundation accept unsolicited proposals? About half of all foundations do not, um, which can be a real problem. So, it, and whether or not that should be permitted is a whole other issue. But um, anyway, many of them don't accept unsolicited proposals. They. Um, that can mean a few different things. It can mean that the foundation already has chosen what organizations they want to give to, it, or it can mean um, that they accept letters of inquiry, but they just don't want you to just send in a proposal. If they accept a letter of inquiry, you're good. You can still keep them on your list. But if they don't, if they've already chosen their, their organizations, it can be very difficult to get through the door unless you have a strong personal contact. Uh, another question that's obvious but um, worth mentioning is do the foundation's stated interests match the project that, that you are looking to do? Um, and we, that gets in part to the, the issue of a foundation that might not say one way or the other, you know, that they do or they don't fund media, but, um, but look and see what their stated interests are. If there's a match there, 
excellent, you keep moving forward. And then has the foundation given to projects that are either similar to yours or like-minded? Um, that could be another media project. It could also be an organization that is, I, I try to think of it as organizations that are similar in mission, action, and spirit. Um, so if they're doing similar work, if they have a similar mission, or if they're just in their sort of approach to um, their overall work in the same mindset as you, that's a good thing. You don't want to be looking at foundations that are you know, totally not in that mindset. In the regional match, we talked about um, that many, many, many foundations are limited by their bylaws uh, to a specific geographic area. I talked to um, Paul Ingalls before uh, this session, and he was talking about how some of the, where he has had some of, the, most of his, or has had more luck finding grants has been um, regional. And so you might find that um, you have better luck doing um, production that is tied to a specific region and then going to foundations that are interested in that region. Or you might have luck you know, doing production that feeds a specific station. Um, you know, and, and again, looking at foundations within a particular region. Um, you've narrowed down your list somewhat. You would then want, in a perfect world, you'd have, say, 25 foundations on a list, um, they, and they look like viable foundations. You then want to research them. Uh, many foundations, by no means all, but many foundations have websites. You should go to the website and see what they have up. Some are quite, are quite uh, deep, and some of them are very um, superficial. If the foundation doesn't have a website, you can call them and ask for their annual report and their guidelines. Not all foundations have guidelines. But um, if they do, they can send them to you. Uh, and then you should look at the tax returns. Um, every foundation has a tax return that they have to file every year. It's the 990PF. These are available at no charge through the Foundation Center website. Um, you can go in and, and you know, you're looking at the actual tax returns scanned in. What you want to pay attention to is the first couple of pages will give you information about their assets, how much they gave in that tax year. If you scroll through a little bit, you'll find um, the list of their board members and um, you know sometimes the staff members are listed there. But at any rate, you'll get a, a reasonably current list of their board, um, which is good to have. And then if you go way to the end, that's where the foundations usually list every grant that they gave in that tax year. They have to list those, and it's almost always at the very end. Uh, in between, there might be 50 pages of listings of their equities. I can just skip all of that. Don't print them out. It'll take up lots and lots of paper. Um, I, I made this kind of a half step, cultivate. You, and, and it's hard to say where cultivation starts, um, but you can say that once you start it, it continues. Um, you want, it is not true that you can't get a grant without knowing somebody, but it is true that knowing somebody helps you to get a grant. Um, and it's also, uh, it's also true. Um, I, I'd like to think of foundations as, um, as individuals that you know, take proposals and have application forms. Uh, so you want to get to know that donor. 
Um, that could be through your program officer. It could be in a smaller foundation. A lot of times they don't have any program officers. They might only have one staff person who only works three days a week. But you want to establish some degree of relationship with that person to the extent that it's possible. Some foundations don't want that. Um, and they can be quite standoffish. But, um, but in general, it's, it's a very good idea to do this. Um, some of the things that you can do to cultivate foundations are uh, to keep l track of who's staffing the foundation and who is on the board of the foundation. If you have those, um, you compile a little list of the board members and the staff and ask if you have a board, have your board look at that list and see if maybe they know anybody. If you're looking at regional foundations, you might get a hit. Um, you, if you don't have a board, maybe you have some friends or some volunteers who can help you with that. Uh, it's surprising, actually. Um, you know, even people tell you, oh, I don't know anybody. But then they're like, oh, except I went to college with that one. But, um, you know, it, it does happen. And uh, even if someone isn't willing to open, you know, to, to provide an introduction for you, they might be able to give you some information about, you know, that person is really interested in blah, blah, blah. The other thing I think that can be well worth doing is using foundation staff as resources. Um, a lot of foundation staff are, are very deep in their knowledge of a topic, uh, and they're also very deep in their contact lists and in knowing who uh, in a community or who in a state is doing innovative work. Um, if you are, uh, say, for instance, doing um, a 30-minute radio piece on uh, this island uh, off of Maine, you might contact a foundation to see, um, well, I don't know exactly what you would ask on that one, but you might, you might be able to talk to foundations about, um, uh, are there some uh, people in, um, that you, you can refer me to? Um, in academia, who might be a source here, or uh, in um, the area of uh, the series on motherhood, you know, we're interested in doing pieces that break out of the mold of, you know, the usual parents magazine, blah, blah, blah. We want to look at, you know, some ways that um, maybe, um, uh, different ethnic groups are uh, parenting in interesting ways. Can you <coughs> recommend to me some um, organizations that you might know of because of your roots in the community? And that can be a really good way to introduce yourself to a foundation. Um, it doesn't mean that you have to use their sources. <laughs> and that's a concern sometimes for uh, producers. You know, if I get the name from a foundation, do I have to use them? Yeah, I think you can make that clear to a foundation that, you know, I'm, I'm gathering information um, from a variety of sources. I know you're deep in this area. Can you give me some guidance? In general, the next step is a letter of inquiry. Most foundations want that to be their first contact. Um, there are uh, people who will say that you have to have a meeting first, um, but that can be very difficult to get sometimes. Um, uh, in fact, some foundations will just flat out refuse to meet until a proposal is actually being considered or even until after a grant is made. Um, but in general, a letter of inquiry is the first step. Some people who are really, really extroverted like to just make a phone call first. 
Um, and on that note, I did a, a panel at the public radio development conference a couple of years ago where we had a group of foundation people in the room. Um, two of them were from very comparable small foundations where they were staffed by just one person. So this was their staffer. And uh, one of them said, gosh, you know, I really just like it if a grant seeker just calls me up and you know, tells me what the project is and asks me, you know, is this something that might move forward? Maybe we can start talking and start to build a relationship. It's just great. The other person said, I can't stand it when people just call me up because I don't have time for this. You would never know that from looking at the guidelines unless the foundation says no calls. And if it does, don't call. <laughs> but, um, but I can tell you that if you're in California and you're looking at the Roth Family Foundation, don't call them. <laughs> Basically, though, uh, for most of us um, and for most foundations, it's the letter of inquiry that, that you need to do uh, once you've figured out that a foundation is a, is a viable target. Um, a foundation, a letter of inquiry, have, have, can you, I just see some hands on how many of you have written letters of inquiry? Okay, good. Um, so this is old news to you folks. Um, basically, uh, it's, a, it's a relatively short letter that's basically like a query letter. Um, you are talking about uh, your project, you're naming your ask, you um, are spelling out briefly the need for the project and how you're going to do it, uh, you're demonstrating uh, that there's going to be some impact, um, you're demonstrating that you have some credibility, that you know what you're doing, maybe that you've, you have uh, been aired on thus, you know, this source and that source or this outlet and that outlet, um, that you've gotten this award or that award. Um, you want to give them a sense of what the overall project budget is. If there are other funders who have committed, you know, fabulous, name them. Um, if there are other funders that are considering your project, name them. Um, and then you would want to add in a sentence or two saying, you know, um, I hope we can talk further about this. I will give you a call in the next couple of weeks to follow up, something to that effect. Which gives you the opportunity to cultivate again. Um, and then I think you really are legitimate in making the phone call and saying, you know, I wanted to follow up in this letter of inquiry. And I, I think in a lot of ways it, it's a little bit more fair in the sense that it gives the foundation a chance to get a, a picture of what it is that you're doing before you just, you know, ring them up. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure you'll get to this, but uh, the amount that you decide to ask for, obviously that comes from the research of the sorts of grants you know that they make, but will you ever price yourself out of a grant? by asking for 100 grand when really they probably would like to fund you but only at 25 and so they throw the letter out because they, they don't want to give you 100, is that? It's possible, yeah. Um, if, if you are, um, in your research, you would want to see, first of all, do they give grants at 100 grand? Um, and you know, if they give one, then don't ask for 100. Um, if they give, because a lot of times, foundations will have like an outlying grant to some pet project but most of the grants are really between, you know, 15 and 30. Um, I would ask, make an ask that is in the middle of their typical range. Um, uh, if a foundation, you know, is really keen on you, and, uh, you know, if you're in a situation where they're like, God, this is such a great project, we'd really love to fund it, but we're not going to give them the full amount that they asked for, well, they'll often give you less than what you asked for. What they'll want to know then is, will the project still go forward? And you would, be, you would need to be able to say, yes, and here's how. Um, and, and that can be, 
you know, sometimes challenging if you don't have any other way of moving it forward. Um, but that's something that, that you would want to be, presumably you would be looking at a variety of sources anyway for, for funding your project. Um, I, and, and I think the other thing, oh, just to add to that, you don't, you don't typically want to ask for a lot less than what a foundation gives. You don't really want to go to the Ford Foundation and ask them for $2,500. You don't want to go to, you know, the Smith Family Foundation that gives 10000 and ask them for seventy-five. Um, when you are following up after a letter of inquiry, it's perfectly fine to request a meeting um, if that feels like something that is appropriate to you. One of the best guidance, uh, guidelines that I have heard is request a meeting when there's a need to request a meeting. Um, don't request a meeting just because you feel like you have to have one. I just want to follow up on that budget question. Just with the, so if your budget is a lot, your ideal budget is a lot, but you can still move forward with like a fraction of that. I mean, would you, would you put all that in the letter? Like, we're going to, we want this much, but we're only asking for this much. Or I mean, you know, like how, how much resources is closed about your process in your head about money? Yeah, um, I would, uh, it's tricky. And, you know, I think what you would want to do would be to look at what are my foundation prospects? What do I think is realistic that I can really bring in from foundations? Given everything I know about these foundations and given, you know, any relationship that I may have with them, if you're a first-time grantee to all of them, you know, I would reduce the likelihood of getting those grants. Um, but. I, I'm not sure that I would put together a budget that would be my absolute ideal, I'm rolling in money budget. You know, maybe you would want to put together a budget that, that is um, kind of what you want, but not everything, you know, that, that you think you could possibly do. Um, and, and then you're, you, it is possible to, you know, if you just can't raise the amount of money that you hope to raise, to still go forward with the project, but downsize it a little bit. Um, where it gets tricky is if you've promised certain deliverables, you know, it's hard to just drop those deliverables out. There's another, yeah, back here. Could you phase, have a phased budget, or could you, if you were requesting like three series, just say, put a one foundation for one of the specials or one of the three? Oh, sure. So that you don't have to go for the 75, like you know that they might be yeah. Yeah, and you can you know you can go to a foundation for um, a, a travel component, um, or you can uh, go to a foundation for uh, you know some some discrete portion of your project, um, and that's totally fine. You know, it, it's it's certainly okay to say you know to go to a smaller foundation, for instance, and only ask them for you know three thousand um, dollars, but but that'll pay for some aspect of your project that will move it forward. with a radio program or with an online magazine, do they, does the foundation want to see proof that you actually have an okay from that radio program? Can you just say they create, like, they said they, or they would air my pieces if I got funding to do this? Yeah, I wouldn't worry too much about the proof. I mean, some foundations will ask for that, um, but usually as part of a proposal. Uh, they might want to see a, a memorandum of understanding, or they might want to see um, a letter of support, um, but not with a letter of inquiry. 
And you know, it's not my experience that most foundations are looking for the liar. You know, they're. <laughs> but um, I. But if you have things that you can add that add specificity, by all means, you know, you definitely would want to list what those other outlets are, what stations have said we'd be interested, even if the stations haven't. You know, I'm sure there's situations where the stations are like, we think we'd be interested. Um, but you know they haven't signed on the dotted line that they're going to air it. You can certainly say you know these five stations have expressed strong interest in this project. Yeah. If you secure a piece of your funding through another foundation, will you indicate that on your uh, letter of encouragement to another foundation? Yeah, yeah, I would always do that. Um, I wouldn't necessarily say um, you know we got the, the really cool part paid for already. But, um, and this is a problem for organizations where, you know, that sell off the neat parts of their project and then they're left with like, you know, the, the, the boring stuff that nobody wants to fund. And, um, but you could, for sure, I would definitely say, you know, the, the Johnson Foundation has already committed to support this project. And foundations in general, foundations don't want to be the only funder of a project. Um, they want to see other folks getting on board. They want to know, um, especially, you know, if there are other foundations that they know or that are, you know, in their region or that add credibility. If you've got CBB money, you would definitely talk about that. Um, or any kind of, you know, certainly if you had like NEA money or um, whatever. I mean, you, you definitely want to let uh, foundations know that they're not the only ones. That reminds me of this kind of I went through this process to a certain extent and then was stumped by a kind of chicken and egg paradox of the foundation I was interested in. Um, definitely wanted match, a certain amount of matching funds. And I, I kind of shut down at that point, didn't really know where to go from there. Um, if you're starting from scratch and you don't have those, how do you get around that? Well, not all foundations want matching funds. Um, there's, uh, and I. You know, I think, I, I don't know what the percentages would be. There are some that always want it. There's some that want it with specific kinds of projects. But I think, in general, most foundations, and government grants often want matching funds, but um, most uh, private foundations probably aren't asking for matching funds. Um, what you could do, though, would be, you know, if you can get the grant, um, even if it's contingent on you getting matching funds, you can take that to other funders and say, look, we got this, and you know, if we get these matching funds, it'll be leveraged so much by you know, this other money that has already been at least conditionally committed. Um, you know, and so you can sort of build it in that respect. And that can be nice for small foundations who might be thinking, you know, again, my little grant isn't gonna make a difference, but if it's matching a, a $50,000 grant, in part, or helping to match, you know, I don't know, whatever, two to one or something. And would you cultivate two foundations at the same time so that you could tell them that you had interest from the other one? I, I, I would recommend, um, it's not like query letters in the sense, that, you know, it's not like the, the uh, no simultaneous submissions. You, you should be looking at, if you can find a group of foundations that are interested in, or that are candidates for your work, um, I'd cultivate them you know, all. Uh, you know, it's, it's, if you have the terrible problem of raising too much money for your project, you can always give it back. 
um, or extend your project. But you know that happens so rarely that it's, it's basically a non-issue. Um, right here. In the letter of inquiry or elsewhere, would you suggest or not that we indicate uh, in time in terms of uh, equipment, facilities, other things like that that we bring to the time? Yeah, I think that's fine. Um, I, the letter of inquiry, you know, it might get a little lengthy in the letter of inquiry, but if you can fit it in, good. Um, you, uh, it's fine to put it on a budget. Um, there, are, you know, there might be some foundations that say we don't want that on the budget, but they'll usually tell you that. Um, but you know, especially for smaller organizations and for foundations that are used to funding um, smaller organizations, I think they're 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 aware that a lot is given in kind, and that that matters. There's a question over here. I was going to make a similar point, particularly local foundations. Um, you're worried about the matching card that you can get. You can really get a lot representative income that will get you pretty close to a matching level. You know, like radio stations that get donating studio time. You know, price that out at what it really costs to run a studio. Or you're probably undervalued in your own time as it is. You know, you would work for $50 an hour, but you're probably worth $75 or $100 an hour. And so, you know, you calculate that in, and it's fair to do that. Uh, then you know, end up with an in-kind line that matches the small I'm going to continue here. Um, the step six is basically writing the proposal, but telling your story. And that one of the resources that's mentioned on your handout um, is a book. Um, there's two books actually that I really recommend on grant seeking. One is called Demystifying Grant Seeking, which is aimed at the smaller organization. Um, and, and the novice uh, grant seeker. Another one is um, uh, storytelling for grant seekers. And it goes through the grant seeking process, but it parallels it to, to telling a story. Um, it, essentially, that's what you're doing when you tell, uh, when you put together your proposal. All of these points are spelled out in more detail in the handout on proposal writing. Um, essentially, uh, what you want to do well, just a couple things I want to highlight here. Um, you, you want, at the beginning of your proposal, to make it clear what your ask is. It, that can be your opening paragraph, or you can open with something more um, uh, story-like, um, or some you know, relevant data, or you know, something. something. Um, but you would want, at the, close to the top of your proposal, to let the funder know what the ask is. The amount, um, you know, I propose a project to do blah blah blah, and I'm requesting ten thousand dollars from the blankety blank foundation to do it. Um, in, in part, um, people who are working at foundations, if it's a foundation of any size, they read a lot of proposals, and um, so I think it just alleviates a little bit of frustration in terms of getting it, just getting it up there. Um, you want to uh, talk about your, yourself and your organization if you have one and establish your credibility. You want to give a project description that can be quite detailed. Um, one of the things that, uh, that you might do in media would be to say, you know, in this uh, four-part series on climate, um, I anticipate talking to these kinds of sources, um, addressing these sorts of issues. This is important because of, uh, you know, um, this science journalist, this renowned science journalist who says that most science journalism is, you know, 
ridiculous. Um, you know, I, I have depth in this area, but to, to walk through, um, to get back to the, the, the reports, to walk through what the components of the series might be. You can always say at the beginning, you know, uh, while the details are subject to change, I anticipate that, you know, it will cover these four things. Because it's always true that, you know, as you get into it, you might not actually talk to John Smith, the scientist, you might talk to someone else. Um, I think the value, though, of that is to help the foundation visualize what it is that they're going to be getting, what it is that they're going to be paying for. Um, implementation plan is also something I wanted to just touch on here because um, not a lot of proposals include it. Um, some foundations will specifically ask for an implementation plan or a timeline or benchmarks, but um, they don't all ask for that. And I, in my experience, a lot of times uh, people have not put that together before they're going to the foundation. Putting it together shows, I think, that you're serious and that you will be able to actually implement what you're doing. And especially if you're, you know, if it's just you uh, doing the work or you and maybe a couple of other people, um, the foundation is, is investing in you. They want to make sure that you can carry out the work and that you know, you've thought through how much time it's going to take you to do it and, and how you're going to make the deliverables happen. Um, Project impact and evaluation, we've talked about uh, impact largely through uh, distribution. Evaluation is something that foundations have been paying a lot more attention to over the past 10 or 15 years. Uh, they want to know that the organizations and the projects that they fund are doing what they want them to, you know, what the, the um, implementers want them to do, and that they're having some success. Um, it's hard to evaluate media. But you can look for ways that you can do it. You can do it through you know, the number of uh, outlets for your coverage. Um, you can do it um, you know, if you have the educational program, you know, how, many, how many kids did it reach? Um, if you, or how many teachers are using it? Is it an ongoing project? Uh, another thing that we, uh, was used pretty successfully when I was at PRI was to involve um, people who are experts, outside experts, in either at the front end, serving as kind of an advisory group to help you figure out um, you know, who are some of the key people to talk to on this subject, or um, to, help, to help get access to some of the key players, um, to help address um, how do we go deep into the nuance of a topic and not just sort of do the, you know, the black and white coverage. Um, but to provide um, more academic insight into a project. Um, you can also ask academics or other, ex other people who would be considered experts in a field to um, listen to the coverage that you produce after it's done and assess it and write up a little review of it. Most people are happy to do this. And, and, and it's been my experience that academics actually, you know, if they're being contacted by someone in public media are like, Hi. Um, you know, they, they want to get the word out about what it is that they're doing. They feel that most media either ignores them or does a lousy job covering it. And that, you know, if you're going to sit and ask them for their opinion on how the coverage should be done or whether it was done well, fabulous. No one else has been asking. Um, and in that case, I would ask them uh, to not only, you know, review the coverage, but to compare it to what else 
what else is being done in media. Um, budget and, and need for support, we've talked about some, so I'm going to skip over that. The conclusion um, is something that uh, isn't just sort of a throwaway. Um, you know, I think it's a little area where you can be uh, inspirational in sort of summing up what it is that you're going to do and why it's going to uh, transform people's lives. Foundations will ask some of the questions we've already been talking about. Why should I fund you and not the local station? Or why should I fund you since I'm already funding the local station? Why should I fund you and not NPR? Some of those um, responses we've talked about earlier uh, would include, um, you know, I'm doing something that they're not doing. Um, or, you know, I have the independence to go and just focus on uh, uh, the, the space and science program um, and do three hours around it and a reporter at, you know, such and such station isn't able to do that. Um, isn't media a one-time thing? is an issue for a lot of foundations. If so, you know, if the people in the community don't hear the report today, is it gone forever? Well, fortunately now, you know, you can, you can get your product out on other platforms as well. Um, and, you know, if it's going to be archived somewhere, include that. If it's going to be, you know, available by podcast or whatever other form it might be available through, you would want to help foundations understand that. Um, that also addresses how do we know that anyone will hear it. We've talked about the distribution commitments and so on and so forth. Um, if you're on other uh, platforms, that's a big deal. And foundations might not understand those other platforms, but if you can help them understand, we are reaching X kinds of constituencies you know, through these other platforms, then I think that's, that's one of the things that, that will help you. Um, isn't media expensive? Yeah, but it's not as expensive as um, uh, certainly radio isn't as expensive as television. It has a lot of impact. Um, you know that you're reaching, depending on what your outlets are, you know you're reaching s sizable numbers of people. Um, and so, you know, the, the bang for the buck is, is pretty good. Um, how will my grant make a difference? Again, we've talked about that. You can, you can break down your budget into um, more manageable portions depending on the kind of foundation that you're approaching so that you can help them see that they're making a real difference even for what might be a small grant. So basically we've talked about all of that. Um, and I think some things to remember are um, it's really important, even if you think it's obvious, it's really important to tell a foundation why you are helping, why you match their mission and their concerns. How is it that you're helping them to advance their goal? Um, and, and it's not, you know, that you're just doing production to, to suit the funder, but if you're getting the word out about um, a, a major health issue or, you know, how a health issue affects people in um, Ohio, uh, that is advancing the work of foundations that care about health in Ohio. And it, you should make that, that really explicit. You should also use their language. I, you know, I think even if it seems contrived, I, d I honestly think that a lot of times people will read their own language and go, that is so smart. <laughs> so, um, always follow the guidelines. If the foundation asks specific questions, answer it. Some foundations ask, uh, it will have a whole list of questions that they want you to answer. Sometimes they are redundant. A answer them, you know, four times if you need to. So they ask it, you answer it. 
Um, and remember, on the guidelines issue, remember that um, foundation turnaround times are long. Uh, it can be, you know, a three-month turnaround time would be really good. I would expect usually more like a six-month in general time from, you know, starting the foundation process to getting some kind of a response. Sometimes it can be longer. Um, you don't really need to go more than 10 pages. Um, you, should, you should customize the proposals that you do. Everyone always wants to have the boilerplate proposal that they can send out to 12 foundations, and it doesn't exist. Um, you can use boilerplate language that you, know, you cut and paste from one to the other, but foundation proposals should be customized in the same way that you, know, you would write a, a magazine article by knowing the publication. You would write it for that publication. You would do that for a foundation. Um, and I think, um, oh, edit, please. <laughs> it's important. Uh, be sure you spell check, things like that. Um, uh, focus on data. Uh, it's tempting a lot of times when you write proposals to say, uh, we hope that this is going to happen. We believe that this is very important. I personally like to scratch that language um, and uh, either say, you know, this is very important or this is very important because of this data that shows it's very important. Um, some of the data that you might want to be looking at when you're talking to foundations, again, depending on the foundation, um, a lot of foundations wouldn't necessarily know about trends in you know, media consolidation or media ownership. They wouldn't necessarily know that um, uh, the representation of um, minority producers is uh, low. Um, they wouldn't necessarily know, um, uh, you know, you, you might be going to, um, to a foundation for a, for a topic um, area. And they might not have a grasp, they, may, they might have an intuitive sense that media coverage of X topic has not been great, but maybe you can find some data that shows that, you know, the, the major TV networks only covered this topic for two minutes, you know, last year. And you are going to cover it a lot more. Um, you, so you don't want to barrage them with data, but you want to include it. And I think one of the... the Last few things to, to say are that foundations in general have a dissemination problem, um, especially foundations that are interested in um, topic, topical issues. They want people to know about the issue and to take action on the issue, but they don't really have a way of talking to the public. Uh, they might produce reports, other foundations might read them, some policymakers might read them, but the general public is not reading them. But you know, you guys are in a position to talk to uh, an influential public. Um, as we were talking about, most funders, most funders don't have inside knowledge of media. Those funders that do are um, tip, tend, or I think at the moment, are interested in diversity of, uh, among producers and of content. They're concerned about consolidation trends, and they're concerned about the future talent in public radio. And those are areas that, that you can speak to um, in terms of what you're bringing to the table. And finally, cultivate, cultivate, cultivate. Uh, it's an ongoing process. If, you, um, are in a, if, you, if you're able to establish a relationship with a foundation, you want to stay in touch with them. You don't want to just show up once a year with your report. Um, you know, you don't need to send them something 
every three days, but you would want to keep them up to date on advances in your project. You'd want to make sure they get your audio. Um, you would want to offer meetings when they seem appropriate. Uh, you would want to let them know if you get another grant. Um, and you want to be sure you file your reports on time. And I'll stop there. We have some time left, actually. Uh, so if there's any other questions before people go to dinner. Yeah. How much time do we spend in the grant writing process before we know that we're getting any money? Is there a guideline or a formula or a suggestion for knowing how much money we're we're not funding ourselves when we're, when we're researching and when right. we're cultivating and when we're targeting and when we're making our lists. So how much, so how much do you really have to invest in this yeah. before it starts it's to like pay off? It is like writing a novel, yeah. It's an it's a excellent comparison, actually. Um, you know, it could be a lot. Um, I don't think it needs to rule your life, but um, when you start to do the research, you'll start to see, does it look to me like there are, you know, three funders that are maybe matches for me, or does it look like there might be 50 funders that are matches for me? And that'll start to give you some sense of, is this project something that is going to generate foundation funding or not? Um, I, I don't know, does anyone else have any insight on how much time you, you sink into this before you give it up? Or? Well, I mean, over years of becoming a better, better grant writer, but I'm, I'm not sure whether you're asking about how much time, in terms of years, or how much time I invest. Like it could take me four to six weeks to write a major grant. It's not a full-time job, but that's how long it takes to do the research and do the writing. And even though I have some boilerplate, it's always, it always can be improved. And do you have to budget that 46 weeks into the, the, the program? Um, yeah, I'm planning ahead of it. Hopefully, it's going to be offset by something. But sometimes it's just, you know, this is the cost of doing business. Yeah. I was just going to say, in terms of the amount of time you put in, I, I definitely think that there's a, there's a very proportionate payoff in terms of the amount of time you put in and what is coming back. And I've found sometimes that writing a really good grant takes a lot of time and not getting that money just because there's enough to work for writing the next one. And then very often, you know, sort of one or two grants and actually getting each other. Um, does anyone have any experience being like a staff recorder and then like approaching your employer about a specific specific funding for a project that you could work on, like a series of reports about whatever that or like you know rather than applying as an independent, applying for a grant as a staff reporter at at a station or something, you're trying to enable that not only with the, the foundation but also with your boss. Well, the fact the station becomes a fiscal sponsor, that example, I think. If you're, if you're proposing a series, you know, and you've got to get the power of the employer the radio station, you know, invested in making the application. Well, I guess my question is more like, because that's, I mean, I hear, I hear series work a lot on public radio done by staff reporters. Is that something that, like most newsrooms, would be interested in, or would they kind of feel like they're losing a, a reporter to, you know, to this sort of specific grant-funded thing or something like that? I've seen a reporter get grants in order to offset um, the time that she is away from the newsroom to pay for people to fill in for her. So it becomes a case of her using the fact that she's part of this newsroom to get the grant, but also to offset it. 
for the release time is an in-kind contribution to the station. You know, the station's determined that this is part of their mission of the community. Well, and a station could certainly seek grant funding for, you know, a series on uh, whatever the topic is, get the grant, and assign you to it, to the project, uh, even though the grant would be coming to the station, um, and you would be funded, I mean, you would be paid as their reporter to do that project. And whether that would be distributed beyond your station, I don't know, but, but stations do certainly seek funding for topical uh, coverage. Um, I wonder if you discover a little bit more about um, the, some of the, the tipping points for you and your choices about uh, going to this agent or uh, deciding to create a new uh, role at C3 and, uh, you know, Let's Um, you know, maybe some folks in the room could speak about fiscal agents versus 501c3. Uh, it's, yeah, back here. Uh, I think a good idea for 501c3 is if you think that the body of work that you're going to produce uh, can attract interest, um, not only from foundations because the convenience factor is there, not having a line of the fiscal agent, but from individuals especially. I went through this process with a project in mind that we had, and I knew that if I became a 501c3, that enough of friends and other networks would contribute like a baseline of support, a few thousand dollars, that then allowed me to hire a researcher to look, look at the grant picture. In some topic areas, it sort of seems really tailor um, made for that approach, and that helped me make my decision. So that's one factor. I mean, we can talk more about that sometime. We're, we're at the tail end here. Did you want to come in on the fiscal agent? Yeah, okay, go for it. I need to give a big credit to the fiscal agent, and they were fantastic in helping me get and sort of pay out the big grant that I got. And I, and I had to find matching funds. And when my matching funds were coming in, checks were like 50, anywhere between sort of 50 and 250 up to like $1,500, it was very difficult to try and process. I mean, it's awful for them. They, you know, they don't want to do that. And, when you're talking about people in the community making $1,500 donations, they do want that. They want that to be tax deductible. And in that way, if you're looking at raising individual funds, I think that being a 501c3 and being able to manage that on your own is extremely helpful. It costs about $500 you know, to make the application. And then you have to create a board and have some meetings. It wasn't as hard as some people painted it to be. I know sometimes if, you, if there's like a local lawyers for the arts group in your community, they can be very helpful in your expediting and figuring out that process. Okay, I'm going to wind this up now, um, but um, 
If you have any other questions, let me know. And I apologize, Kathy, I should have introduced you at the beginning. Um, but uh, just, as you're, just as you're about to go to dinner, Kathy Merritt from CPB uh, is here and um, willing to talk. So um, if you have questions that are pertinent to CPB in particular, then um, she's your woman. Thank you.